Well, if we could, this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, uh, for a short while, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, the book of Psalms, and Psalm 81. The book of Psalms, Psalm 81. Uh, we're going to walk through this psalm, but if we just read again at verse 1. Psalm 81 at the beginning. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. And so on. Now as you know, the months of July and August, uh, they're taken up with the summer holidays. Uh, The school is closed and the children and their teachers, uh, they are off for six weeks. And you know, it's a great time of year, especially, well, not today, but the weather that we've been enjoying over the past few weeks. And as you know, with summer holidays, there are people who come home for their holiday and there are others like myself and others who go away for their holiday. And with the summer holidays upon us, it got me thinking about this psalm, Psalm 81. And I was thinking about Psalm 81 because Psalm 81 is a holiday psalm. Psalm 81 is a holiday psalm. And I say that because the word holiday, as you know, it comes from the old English word or English phrase, holy day. And a holy day was a day that was distinct from normal working days. And that's what our holidays are. They're days that are different from our normal working day. They're days that are different from our normal routine. They're holy days. And for the Jews, they had many holy days. They had many holidays. They had many feast days. Days that were distinct from their normal working day. They were holy days. They were set apart, days that were set apart to worship the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord for his covenant faithfulness towards his people. And what's interesting is that this holiday psalm, it was used to call the Lord's people to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Feast of Tabernacles, it wasn't just a holy day. It was a holy week. It was a week's holiday. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was to commemorate and to celebrate the exodus from Egypt, where the children of Israel, as you know, they were led by Moses out of Egypt. They were led through the Red Sea and on into the wilderness. They were walking towards the promised land. And unbeknown to the Jews at the time, their wilderness journey, it was going to take them 40 years. But during that 40-year period, the children of Israel, they moved from place to place, living in tents. And it's estimated that the number of people or the number of Israelites that left Egypt uh, was 2.4 million. And you know, with that number of people migrating out of a nation, you can understand why it's called the Exodus. Because when the children of Israel left Egypt, as we would say, it was a mass exodus. But the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was to remember the Lord's goodness to the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was to reaffirm their trust of the Lord's care over them throughout their wilderness journey. And as we shall see from this psalm, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a joyous occasion. 
Feast of Tabernacles was a joyous occasion. And so Psalm 81, it's a holiday psalm. And I'd just like us to consider this holiday psalm under four headings. So first of all, there is the call to the people. Then there is the covenant with the people. Then there's the command, commandment for the people. And lastly, the commitment of the people. So the call to the people, the covenant with the people, the commandment for the people, and the commitment of the people. So first of all, we look at the call to the people. The call to the people, and this is in verses 1 to 3. With the psalmist Asaph, he says, Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. So this holiday psalm, it opens with this great call, inviting all of the Lord's people to come and sing and shout and make music to God. And this call to the people, it's expressed by all these imperatives that are used. Because there are five imperative commands that are used in these opening three verses. Where the psalmist, he exhorts and he encourages the Lord's people to sing aloud, to shout for joy, to raise a song, sound the tambourine and blow the horn. The psalmist calls all of the Lord's people to come together and to worship the Lord. And they're to come together and worship the Lord because the Lord has delivered his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. The Lord has delivered his people with a mighty hand and brought them up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And that's what the occasion of the Feast of Tabernacles sought to commemorate and celebrate. It was their deliverance from bondage. In fact, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was often referred to by the Jews as the season of rejoicing. It was the season of rejoicing. It was this great occasion for the Lord's people to come together and reflect upon what the Lord has done for his people and worship the Lord for his covenant faithfulness. And you know, just thinking about it, that's why we gather together every Lord's Day. Because every Lord's Day, it's a great occasion for us to come and worship our risen Saviour. It's a great occasion for us to reflect upon what the Lord has done for us and to praise him for his faithfulness towards us. And you know, we have good reason to worship the Lord. We have good reason to worship the Lord on the Lord's day and even tonight. Because we have been redeemed from slavery to sin. We've been purchased by precious blood. We've been, we have received mercy through God's love. We've been made new by his grace. We're being made holy by his faithfulness. And we're being kept by his power. We have good reason to sing to the Lord with a cheerful voice. And you know, our rejoicing in the Lord's salvation, it should just flow out of us. It should be part of us. Because our desire, because of what the Lord has done in our life, our desire to worship and praise the Lord, that should be part and partial of our life, to praise him for his steadfast love and faithfulness. And you know, that's what the psalmist is calling us to do here. He says, shout for joy, raise a song, sound the tambourine, blow the horn. He's telling us to rejoice in the Lord and his salvation. 
But you know what's interesting? Is the last imperative that's used in verse 3. Where he says, below the trumpet at the new moon. At the full moon. On our feast day. Uh, literally the command is, blow the horn. He says, blow the horn. And, and the horn that was used. Or that was blown at the feast of tabernacles. Was this horn called a shofar. And the shofar, it was made of uh, the horn of a ram or an ox. But what's interesting is that the shofar was blown to mark the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And the Jewish New Year, it would take place, as it says, at the time of the new moon. And this new moon was around September time. And why this is important to the Feast of Tabernacles is because the Jewish New Year was this two-day celebration which took place at the beginning of the new moon. And then from one new moon to the next new moon, there will be this month-long celebration of the Lord's salvation. And that month, it would begin with the Jewish New Year, and then it would conclude with the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a wonderful time for the Lord's people, because according to Judaism, uh, the Jewish New Year is the anniversary of creation. And so at the beginning of this month-long celebration, the people would gather together to worship and praise their creator. And then at the end of this month-long celebration, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would praise the Lord as their Redeemer. And it was this month-long holiday of worship to the Lord, commemorating and celebrating the Lord's works of creation and redemption. And you know, Thinking about it, tonight as the Lord's people, we are still being called by the Lord to praise him and worship him and exalt the name of Jesus as our creator and our redeemer. The command hasn't changed. We're still being called to sing aloud, shout for joy, raise a song, sound the tambourine and blow the horn in praise of our creator and redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we see in this holiday psalm is the call to the people. Then secondly, we see the covenant with the people. The covenant with the people. It says in verse 4, For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. And so in these verses, verses 4 to 7, the psalmist explains why there was a call to the people. And the reason why is that he says it was a statute for Israel. It was a law given by the God of Jacob, and it was decreed in Joseph. And these words, statute, law, and decree, they're all covenantal words. They refer to the, the covenant that the Lord made with his people. And the names, they're also important. The names Israel, Jacob, and Joseph, they all refer to God's covenant people. Israel was the covenant name that the Lord gave to Jacob when he wrestled with him all night. Jacob's son was Joseph, and Joseph was delivered by his brothers to be a slave in Egypt. That's how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. 
And so the reason why there was this call to rejoice in the Lord's salvation was because there was a covenant of salvation with the Lord's people. And the Lord is reminding his people that he has been faithful to his covenant from one generation to the next. The covenant promise of God's grace, he's saying, has remained unbroken throughout the generations. Throughout the generations of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all the children of Israel. And that covenant promise, this is the wonder of it all, it still remains unbroken. Because it's based entirely upon God's grace. It's a covenant of grace. And you know, the Lord's faithfulness towards his covenant, it's something that we should think upon and cling to more and more. Because you know, when we take our focus off this covenant, this covenant of grace, it's a precious covenant. When we take our focus upon God's, off God's covenant of grace, that's when we doubt our salvation. That's when we question the Lord's faithfulness. That's when we wonder at what he's doing in in our providence. That's when we're anxious about the future. That's when we're uncertain about his promises. It's all when we take our focus off God's covenant of grace. Because, you know, the only thing we can actually hold on to or remind us That our confidence and our hope and our assurance is in Christ Jesus. The only thing we can hold on to as the Lord's people is God's gracious covenant with us. Because our salvation, it's nothing of ourselves. It's all of grace. And God's covenant and all the promises that flow to us because of that covenant, they are all, as the Bible says, yea and amen in Christ. And this is what the psalmist is reminding us here. He says in verse 6, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And you know, when you read these words, it's the Lord who's speaking to his covenant people. And the Lord is reminding them of His redemption, his act of redemption in redeeming them from slavery in Egypt. Because the Lord says, I relieved you. I delivered you. I answered you. I tested you. The Lord says, I did it. It was my divine intervention that brought you up out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. He's saying, I heard the cries of the people. I answered them. I freed them. I rescued them. I redeemed them. I saved them. I brought them out. I secured their salvation. It was nothing of them. The Lord says, I did it. I did it all. And you know, is that not what the Lord said through his prophet Isaiah? He said, Isaiah was to say to the people, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's what the Lord says to us. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. My friend, this is the wonder of God's covenant love and faithfulness towards his people. Because there's nothing we can do to make him love us any more than he already does. 
And I've said this before, there's nothing we can do to make him love us any less. Nothing we can do. Because he says to us, you are mine. You are mine. And so the psalmist, he's giving to us this beautiful holiday psalm. And he reminds us about the call to the people, the covenant with the people. And then thirdly, the command for the people. The command for the people. It says in verse 8, he says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Now, well, it's safe to say that spending time with children, and we're seeing a lot more of our children with the holidays, it teaches you a lot, not only about them, but also about yourself. Because... When you consider the behaviour of children towards their parents and maybe even teachers, you can readily see your behaviour towards God and the way you treat God. Because I often find myself telling David, Finney and Daniel, behave yourself, do as you're told. And sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a wall because they're just not listening to me. They're just doing their own thing and they're doing what they want to do. But you know, I've oft, I'm often reminded that I'm more like David Finley and Daniel than I think. Because when, I, when it comes to thinking about, well, what my Heavenly Father is like, I don't listen as I ought to. And I don't do as I've been told. And you know, this father-child relationship, it's clearly presented to us throughout the Bible. Especially in the case of the children of Israel. Because God, when... The Lord took the children of Israel out of Egypt. He promised to them, I will be to you a father. You will be to me a son. And as you can expect, having God as your father, the children of Israel, they needed to listen. And you know, that's why the Jewish confession of faith, it's, it's wonderful. It begins with this call to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew meaning for to hear. So the Shema is the confession of faith of every Jew. And for a Jew, the Shema is the heart of the Torah. It's the key to keeping God's law. Because this confession, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The confession summarizes the whole law. And that the law is to characterize the Lord's people. And by asserting twice a day, every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Jews were not only confessing that the Lord is one. They're also affirming that they heard what the commandment required. So the, command, the, the Shema, it's not only a call to hear. It also carries with it the responsibility of obedience. And that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Shema is given... It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then, straight after that, the people receive the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And so the commandment to hear was to be a response of obedience. The command to hear was to be a response of obedience. And that's what we see in these verses. Because when the psalmist says in verse 8, 
Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. The psalmist is referring to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the psalmist is emphasizing this covenant responsibility of the Lord's people to be obedient to God's commandments. In fact, the greatest commandment, which is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. But what the psalmist makes clear to the Lord's people is that they have a responsibility to love the Lord and to live according to his commandments, all because they have been redeemed been redeemed by him. Verse 10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And those words are the words which the Lord spoke to the children of Israel when he issued the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 where the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, we're told that God spoke all these words to the people saying, I am the Lord your God, quoting verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it was because the law was given to the children of Israel while they were dwelling in tents in the wilderness, in celebration and in commemoration of the exodus from Egypt, the law had to be read every day during the Feast of Tabernacles. So the law was so important to the people because what the law emphasized is that the lord's people are not their own they have been bought with a price therefore they have a responsibility of obedience to the lord and you know the same is true for us as god's covenant people we have a responsibility to live our lives as those who have been bought with a price we are not our own Therefore, we can't live as we please. We've been redeemed by precious blood. Therefore, we have a responsibility placed upon us as Christians to live godly and Christ-centered lives by being faithful to the Lord, by being faithful to his word, by being faithful to his people and faithful to his church. We are not our own. We have been bought at a price. Therefore, we are responsible We are accountable. We are answerable to Jesus Christ and his church. We have a responsibility to be committed. We have a responsibility to be committed. And that's what we see in these closing verses of this holiday psalm. The commitment of the people. The commitment of the people. So we've seen the call to the people the covenant with the people, the commandment for the people, and lastly, the commitment of the people. The commitment of the people. Look at verse 11. It says, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. You know, when we read these words, verses 11 to 16, there's such a contrast with the beginning of this 
holiday psalm. Because at the beginning of the psalm, there's this great call to come and worship the Lord. But at the end of this psalm, there's this plea to remain committed to the Lord. And the reason there's a plea to remain committed is because, well, the children of Israel, they often disobeyed the Lord. They didn't listen. They didn't do as they were told. They didn't follow the commands. They didn't submit to the Lord's authority. And the Lord says in verse 12, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And you know, that was the story of the children of Israel throughout their 40 years in the wilderness. It was this repetitious story of rebellion against the Lord and then restoration by the Lord. Their 40 years in the wilderness, it was a story of rebellion and restoration. Rebellion and restoration. Rebellion and then restoration. That was their story. And sadly, that's our story too. We're not unlike them. We're so like them. Our wilderness journey towards the promised land, just like their wilderness journey towards the promised land. Is it not the case that it's a story of rebellion? But thankfully it's a story of restoration too. And you know, like it was for the Israelites, the promise of blessing, it was there, it's there for us. The Lord wants to give us the finest of wheat and honey from the rock, as it says in verse 16. But we often miss those wonderful blessings from the Lord, all because of our rebellion. We miss out on blessings because of our lack of commitment to the Lord and to his cause. But thankfully there's restoration. The Lord is always redeeming, always redeeming us. He's begun the good work. He will bring it on to completion. But you know, when you think about it, it's such a strange thing that the psalm would end on a negative tone after such a positive start. It starts so positive. Sing aloud to God our strength. And then at the end he's criticising the Lord's people. And it makes me think, well, why would the disobedience and failure of the children of Israel, why would that be commemorated or even celebrated during the Feast of Tabernacles? Why would their rebellion be highlighted in this holiday psalm? And well, thinking about it, I assume the answer would be so that the following generations would learn from the mistakes of the past and seek to be more committed to the Lord in the future. The mistakes and the failures and the disappointments and the rebellion and the restoration of the people, it's all highlighted, it's all put out there for us to see so that we will learn to listen to the Lord and so that we will respond in obedience to his word. It's all there for our benefit. But you know, when we consider the history of the Israelites, they never learn from the past. They continue to rebel against the Lord. They continue to ignore his word. And you know, this is what I find so fascinating about this psalm and its relationship to the Feast of Tabernacles. Because on the last day of this month-long holiday, it was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And as we said, the first day of the holiday, it began with uh, the Jewish New Year, this two-day celebration. And it began with the sounding of the horn. But at the last day of the holiday, it was also the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And this last day, it was known as the day of great salvation. And what pulls this whole thing together is that when you come into John's Gospel in chapter 7, and you read there about Jesus, and they're all, all the Jews, they're all there commemorating and celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews, they've all gathered in Jerusalem. They're still rebelling against the Lord and, and they're still rebelling against God's Son, Jesus Christ. Everyone is questioning in John chapter 7 who Jesus is. And they're wondering whether or not he is the Christ. But John tells us that on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the day of great salvation, John explains that there would have been this procession that would leave the temple and would go down to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem and then draw out water with these golden pitchers. And on collecting the water from the pool, they would all return to the temple and pour the water on top of the altar of sacrifice. And as the Jews, as the priests did this ritual, all the Jews who had come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they would follow this procession. They would follow them down to the pool and they would follow them back up to the temple. And they, as they followed the priests, they would be singing and rejoicing as they commemorated and celebrated the exodus and how the Lord provided water for them in the wilderness. And yet at the highest point of that ceremony, on the last day, the great day of salvation, it's then that Jesus cries out. He stands up and cries out. You know, it's wonderful. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And then Jesus says, and he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. It's a wonderful moment. Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of this picture, this promise. But you know, that wasn't the last time Jesus spoke during the Feast of Tabernacles. Because after the sun had gone down, the priests would then light four lamps in the temple courtyard. Every evening during the week-long festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, these four lamps were lit. And these lamps, they were so big and so bright that they would light up the whole of Jerusalem. And like the water, the lamps were also to remind the Jews of, that the Lord had provided for the children of Israel whilst they were in the wilderness. The lamps were to be a reminder of the, the pillar of cloud that was with the children of Israel. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But on the last day, this great day of salvation, at the close of all the celebrations, one of the lamps was to be left unlit. So three of them were lit. One was left unlit. And that was to symbolize that the full salvation of the Lord had not yet come. Because the Messiah had not yet appeared. But you know, it's amazing. It's at that point... Jesus stands up again and he says to the people, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's amazing how the whole Bible fits together. And you know what Jesus was saying at that moment was that commitment to him, commitment to him, is the only way to experience this great salvation. Commitment to him is the only way to experience this great salvation. So Psalm 81. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a holiday psalm. 
And whatever you're doing on your summer holidays, if you're having one or not, remember this holiday psalm. At this holiday psalm, it reminds us about the importance of the call to the people, the covenant with the people, the command for the people, and the commitment of the people. Psalm 81, a holiday psalm. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee that that Thy Word is one wonderful story. It is a story that is held together by one person and it is sealed by precious blood. And help us, Lord, we pray, to come to every page of it and to see Jesus on every page, to see Him as one who is speaking to us, who is pointing us towards Himself, And that he's reminding us that he is our great salvation. Help us Lord we pray thee to trust in him. Help us to be committed to him. Help us to follow in his footsteps day by day. We thank thee Lord that he is the light of the world. And that whoever believes in him shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. Help us to trust him. Help us to know his presence day by day. And help us Lord to be faithful to him. Remember us, Lord, we pray. Remember us as a congregation. Continue with us, Lord, we ask. Remember those who are struggling, those who are laid aside this evening. Those, Lord, who are distressed, maybe in mind, body or soul. That thou wouldest meet them at their point of need. And remind them that thou art one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all, more than we could ask or even think. Keep us then, we ask, for we know that we cannot keep ourselves. And do us good for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we shall bring our service to a conclusion by singing the words of that psalm, Psalm 81. Psalm 81 in the Scottish Psalter, page 334. Psalm 81. We're singing from the beginning down to the end of the double verse, March 7. So Psalm 81 from the beginning. Sing aloud to God our strength. With joy to Jacob's God do sing. Take up a psalm, the pleasant harp, timbrel and psaltery bring. Down to the verse, March 7. To God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.